Have you ever wished you could win the lottery? That would make most of your problems go away, wouldn't it? (laughs) Well, in 1988, a man named Bud Post pawned a ring to buy some lottery tickets. Miraculously, he won $16.2 million. And guess what? Within three months, he found himself back in debt for $500,000 and had to declare bankruptcy. With numerous houses full of unused junk, he declared, according to the Washington Post, I was much happier when I was broke. And Mr. Post is not the only sad soul to have had such an experience. There's now a clinical label for this sort of situation. It's called Sudden Wealth Syndrome. You can find all sorts of advice online for how to navigate the many problems you will face should you win the lottery or receive an unexpected inheritance or see a random investment pay off in unpredictable ways. But sadly, very little of the advice you can find for such situations will tell you the truth, which is that your greed will prevent you from becoming wise. That's right. We're working our way through the book of Proverbs, learning about the wisdom of God This morning, we're in verse 8 of chapter 1. If you have one of the church Bibles, it's on page 494. And one of the first things we need to know pretty early in chapter 1 of Proverbs is that your greed will prevent you from becoming wise. That's because, first, greed seduces you through enticing promises that compete with wisdom's own promises. And second, the only results greed can deliver are opposite to the results that wisdom has to offer. So don't fall for it, lest you become another casualty worthy of our pity. That's where we're heading this morning. Let me pray for us and for our time in God's word. Our Father in heaven, please open our eyes that we might see wonderful things in your word this morning. Help us to see past the glitter and the glamour of our culture and the lies that even we as Christians are so prone to believe Help us to see the truth about greed and about wisdom. Help us to confront the brutal truth in our generation that we might walk with you and know you and receive life from you through Jesus Christ according to your wisdom. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing you need to know about wisdom and greed is that they make competing promises. That's point number one. 
Let me read verses 8 through 14 of Proverbs 1. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Let it, Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all kinds of precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. <clears throat> Wisdom and greed make competing promises. This poem presents two competing voices represented in verses 8 through 10 by this young man's parents and in verses 11 through 14 as a violent street gang. These are the two competing voices. First, in verse 8, wisdom cries out to the reader of this book in the voice of the father and the mother. And the promise of wisdom is that the father's instruction and the mother's teaching are like, verse 9, a graceful garland and pendants. A garland and pendants might be worn for a wedding or a feast day. They might be placed upon a victorious general's head and neck or upon a newly crowned king. The point is that you will become wise only if you listen to God's instruction. Verse 8, listen. And verse 9, such wisdom will make you attractive. Like you're wearing a garland and pendants. You will be attractive in the way that someone is attractive when they are not desperate for your attention. This isn't the sort of person whose attractiveness washes off in the shower. This person is attractive because they've already won the race and now they're standing tall on the podium for the medal ceremony. That's the sort of person in ancient Israel who receives a garland on the head or pendants on the neck. So wisdom promises attractiveness and it's the sort of attractiveness that comes with the security of a life that has been lived well. Those are the parents' voices, but the parents' voices aren't the only ones calling out with an invitation and a promise. <clears throat> Beginning in verse 10, there is a competing voice making a competing promise. Verse 10, the voice is that of sinners, which is enticing. Now, why is that? What is enticing about it? It's because... They say, if you do what we say in verses 11 and 12, then we promise you in verse 13, precious goods and a house full of plunder. In other words, we will set you up with a lifetime supply of shiny things to take care of yourself and your family and to have no more troubles the rest of your days. 
The promise here is a promise of security. A house full of plunder. But not only that, there's another promise in verse 14. There's a promise of community. Join us in robbing this old lady of her credit cards. And we promise to share them all with you. Each of us will get an even share. You see that verse 14? We'll all have one purse. Man, it's hard to find such selfless generosity and companionship these days, isn't it? Doesn't this sound like such a nice group of young people? The point, friends, is that with respect to material wealth, there are always two voices calling out to you. There are two voices inviting you into their inner circle and making sweet promises to you of attractiveness, security, and the solution to all your stress and pain. There is the voice of wisdom represented in this poem by the parents. And there is the voice of greed represented in this poem by the sinners in the street gang. Now, why am I talking so much about greed? Can't we just skip over this poem? Because we live in state college in the 21st century. There aren't many street gangs here. Maybe this poem is about violence and we should get to something more applicable to our situation. Well, take a quick look with me at the poem's punchline that comes at the very end, verse 19. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. See, this last verse of the poem is the reason why I've been talking about greed all along up to this point. When you read this poem, you may be tempted to think it doesn't apply to you if you're not tempted to join a street gang. But the street gang is simply a poetic metaphor for, as verse 19 says, everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. In other words, the street gang is an exaggerated picture of anyone who wants to get more stuff, even if other people might be harmed in the process. That's what unjust gain means. I want more stuff, even if other people will be harmed. So you could be a dad who rarely sees his kids because of his long work hours. This poem is about you. Greedy for more gain from your career, but it's unjust gain because of the harm to your family. You could be a student who has no time for a small group Bible study because of your inefficient study habits or an unreasonable workload that you have taken on. This poem is about you, greedy for more gain from your education, but at the cost of learning diligence and balance, which hurts others in the long run. Maybe you're willing to pay for a Netflix subscription but not for internet filtering software. This poem is about you. Greedy for your entertainment, but at the harm of your marriage or your family. 
Or maybe you have made excuses for not donating at least 10% of your income, at least to the church or to other Christian missions. This poem is about you. Greedy to hang on to what you perceive is yours while you are defrauding God of the first fruits of what belongs to him anyway. So let us please be honest about the fact that there are always two voices calling out to us. Those of wisdom and greed. And evangelical Christians in the United States, including many of us in this room, need to do a whole lot better at telling the difference between wisdom's appeal and greed's enticement. Wisdom instructs us to save for the future... So we can serve others in retirement and old age. But greed twists the concept of retirement into a counterfeit utopia. Wisdom counsels us to make smart investments. But greed entices us to get all the latest toys and gadgets and hot rods. Wisdom motivates us with tangible rewards for hard work and diligence. And then greed takes those tangible things and treats them as though they are transcendent things. The thing is that both wisdom and greed involve material benefits. Friends, asceticism and Vows of poverty are not what the Bible calls wisdom. In fact, the Apostle Paul labeled such things in 1 Timothy chapter 4 as doctrines of demons. Wisdom appeals to us to use stuff. Get stuff so you can use it to win more people. And greed appeals to us to use people to win more stuff. But way too often, we cannot tell the difference between the two, and we must do better. We must do better to recognize the difference between wisdom's appeal and greed's enticement. So, for example, is a credit card a good thing or a bad thing? Is it wise or is it foolish? It depends on whose voice you're listening to. If you listen to greed, a credit card is an opportunity to spend money you don't have. But if you listen to wisdom, a credit card could be an opportunity to simplify your payment mechanisms and to generate a little extra income off the money you're already spending anyway. The money you have to spend anyway. That's why the best advice I've ever heard about credit cards was that the first time you are unable to pay your credit card bill in full, you ought to cut up every credit card you have and wait at least two years until opening a new account because by that point, maybe you will have learned enough responsibility to be entrusted with something as dangerous as a credit card. Let's take another example. Is retirement a good thing or a bad thing? Is retirement wise or foolish? It all depends on whose voice you are listening to. If you listen to greed, 
then retirement is your hard-earned reward where you get to do whatever you want to do for the rest of your life. And you can play golf, or like one of my ancestors, you can sit around and do crossword puzzles until it kills you. I'm not exaggerating. But if you listen to wisdom, then retirement is freedom from slavery. It's a time when you are not obligated by an employer to work on a particular thing in a particular place at a particular time. And you have the freedom to work hard in ways that will serve many others. For the wise, retirement is not a time to stop working and have fun. It is a time to do whatever work God grants you to do for the good of his church or for broader humanity. Friends, if you don't yet follow Jesus, you cannot know God's wisdom. You can't hear his voice because Jesus is the embodiment of God's wisdom for us. That means that wealth and riches will never solve all your problems. Sudden wealth syndrome is a real thing and it cannot solve your problems. But even if you got everything you could ever want, don't forget the insight of Mr. Bud Post, the pitiable winner of the lottery, that he was much happier when he was broke. The Lord Jesus has something to offer that provides a happiness that lasts for the rest of time. His happiness does not depend on the balance of your financial portfolio. Jesus died to cleanse you and me of our greed. And he rose from the dead to make us a part of his family forever. So the attractiveness promised by wisdom is something that Jesus Christ, the risen Jesus Christ, has the power to deliver to us. But can we say the same of greed? Does greed also have the power to deliver what it promises? It does not. Greed makes all kinds of promises it can't keep. And that's where this poem goes. Next. To prepare yourself to reject greed's enticement, you must learn to perceive where greed will actually take you. Because while wisdom and greed make competing promises, they nevertheless offer opposite results. And that's point number two. Opposite results. Verse 15. My son, do not walk in the way with them, with these sinners who are enticing you. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. So the father, speaking wisdom shows that while wisdom and greed make competing promises, they nevertheless produce opposite results. And this is why greed will prevent you from becoming wise. 
When the father speaks about the street gang motivated by their greed, he says in verse 16 that they rush into evil. They hasten to shed blood. They are so excited to get more stuff, even if some people might get hurt in the process. But they run into their own trap. They tie their own noose. Because verse 18 says that the blood they lie in wait for is their own. They promised security, but all they can deliver is loss of life. Verse 19, unjust gain takes away the life of its possessors. Do you remember how the greedy sinners promised community? How they offered a single purse and a sense of belonging to something great? Well, in verse 17, we see that it's like spreading a bird net right in front of the bird. In other words, the promised community always flies the coop. Greedy people will always look out for themselves. And that's what's motivating them from the start, (laughs) is their greed. So they will always look out for themselves and stab one another in the back. That's why in the movies, isn't it tense when a character thinks about trusting the bad guys? Give me the password or I murder the hostage. And then it'll be your fault that he's dead. And the people watching the movie are all flipping out. Don't fall for it. You can't trust the bad guy. They're going to murder the hostage no matter what you do. It's not your fault. It's their fault. So Greed cannot deliver the promised security. You can't trust the bad guys. And it cannot deliver the promised community. But what can it deliver? What does greed actually result in? Look again at the poem's punchline. Verse 19. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Friends, greed will take your life away. Please hear that very clearly. Unjust gain saps your strength. It sucks the life out of you. It makes you less happy than when you were broke. So can you see greed for what it is? Do you have eyes of wisdom to see greed for what it is? For example, teenagers and young people. Have you come to see owning a smartphone as a basic human right? Because the research is very clear. You are better off without one. Teenagers without cell phone, or excuse me, teenagers with smartphones are less engaged, less happy, and more depressed than teenagers without smartphones. So your parents are not bad parents if they have not given you a smartphone yet. They want you to have life because greed will take your life from you. As another example, investors, the stock market has done rather poorly for a number of years now. How does that affect your emotional life? Because greed will take your life from you. Jesus said that you could gain the whole 
world and yet lose your soul? Is that a price you are willing to pay? Is your investment portfolio or your shiny new car worth losing your soul over? Greed will prevent you from becoming wise because it causes you to focus on yourself and listen to your own heart instead of listening to the Lord's instruction. And please don't mistake me. Remember what I said earlier. Vows of poverty are not godly. I'm not saying that you should want poverty. Okay? But the results of greed, the results of unjust gain, the results of putting my hope and my identity in such things is that it saps my life away from me. Greed causes you to focus on yourself instead of hearing the Lord. But what are the results of wisdom? Can we really expect anything better from wisdom than from greed? From verse 19, we learn that greed will take away your life. But verse 9 assures us that wisdom does, in fact, grant attractiveness. The attractiveness that comes with security of a life well lived. This will be developed in a few chapters when wisdom herself says in chapter 8, verse 35, whoever finds me, whoever finds wisdom, finds life. And obtains favor from the Lord. Here's the thing. Wisdom will be attractive to you. Only when you know it has something better to offer you than greed has to offer you. When you trust that listening to the Lord and moving closer to him is more worth it than listening to yourself and following the desires of your own heart. That's why when Jesus came from heaven to earth, he didn't simply say, I want you to give up everything for me. Don't get me wrong. He did say that, but he didn't stop there. Matthew 13 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So when Jesus tells us to give up everything for him, it's not because he wants to take all our stuff away. It's because he wants to give us something even better. What Jesus does when he brings the kingdom of God and he reunites heaven and earth, what he does is to guarantee a treasure that is way more valuable than your stock portfolio or your retirement plan. He offers you a treasure that cannot be hacked and it cannot be eaten by moths. He offers you something that is completely unaffected by all the furor of Wall Street. He offers you a kingdom that will never end. Overseen by a king who will never again die. And its boundaries will never stop expanding until it fills the whole earth. And the greatest treasure Jesus offers you, your inheritance, is himself. 
the one who is the glory of the Almighty, the image of the invisible God. The one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. But to find him, you might have to lose everything else. To know him, you have to be willing to forsake everything else. To possess him, you may have to sacrifice all else. Wisdom is a journey away from yourself and toward this Lord Jesus. Make no mistake, greed is a powerful motivator. It is enticing, as verse 10 says, to get you moving in the opposite direction. Greed will prevent you from becoming wise because it leads you to turn your back on the Lord in order to satisfy your own desires. So please be alert and be ever watchful because the Lord Jesus has something far better in store for you. Make sure you listen to the one who actually has the power to deliver on everything that he promises. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Please pray. Our Father in heaven, we look to you to give us all good things. Please supply our needs. You own everything. The world is yours and everything it contains. We need nothing but you. Please grant us joy and delight in your good gifts to us, even your material gifts to us. May we see them as good gifts from your hand entrusted to us to be used for the sake of winning others for your kingdom. Help us to be alert and to recognize the difference between the voice of wisdom and the voice of greed, that we would not twist that around, that we start using people to get more stuff. Please help us. Grant us your wisdom. May we trust you, love you, honor you. Thank you for promising to us the Lord Jesus, a treasure that is far more valuable than any other. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.